the big uh, throw that everyone wants to catch is a decorated little uh, plunger. So, yeah, okay. so you're rolling right. down the street. People are saying, plunger, plunger. Oh, that's hilarious. Like they want their plunger. But does anybody ever get hurt? Like, if you throw it, like you're chucking it to, like, the girl yeah, in the fourth care. row. You don't, you don't <laughs> throw those. I mean, usually well, people kind of come up and you can hand them. You throw beads. Right. Uh, and beads other different. I know. I know. You can. You got to. If you're watching one of the parades in New Orleans, you got to be on alert because there could be a bead flying. Anything can <laughs> yeah. just be coming at you. Exactly. <laughs> Welcome to Lunch with Shelly, the podcast featuring conversations with colleagues, friends, family, business leaders. At lunch, here's Shelly. Betsy Fisher-Martin is an Emmy-winning journalist, television news exec, and an American University alumna. She is currently the executive director of the Women in Politics Institute, and she is the executive in residence for American University School of Public Affairs, where she teaches courses on political communication. Betsy began her career at NBC News and ended up working there for 22 years. She was executive producer of the top-rated Sunday morning program Meet the Press, which I love, and worked closely with the late Tim Russert, serving as his producer for NBC's coverage of special events and four presidential elections, including the historic 2000 presidential election night and subsequent recount, which I remember quite well. Of Florida. Exactly. Betsy was promoted afterwards to managing editor of NBC News Political Programming, where she was responsible for the development and execution of network political coverage. And at NBC, she was Tom Brokaw's producer for news coverage of the 2008 presidential election, including party conventions, debates, and election night. As an important aside for me, I've been a big Tom Brokaw fan since his Today Show days. I had a big crush, and I used to think I'd end up being his Barbara Walters. Maybe with your help, there's still time, Betsy. Never too late. Right? Never too late. Betsy has been honored with several awards, including three news and documentary Emmys, the Walter Cronkite Award for Excellence in Political Journalism, and a Gracie Award from American Women in Radio and Television. She also founded her own consulting firm in 2016 called Fisher Martin Media, where she specializes in helping corporate execs communicate their message in the media, break through all the noise, and excel in even the toughest of interviews. For all of the reasons above, plus I like her very much, and because I wanted kick-ass women on the podcast Mm -hmm. always, Always. and especially during Women's History Month, (laughs) I am so excited to have Betsy Fisher-Martin on the podcast. Welcome to Lunch with Shelly Betsy, and let's have lunch. It's a pleasure to be with you all. Cheers, Claude. Cheers. Yeah, (laughs) to Women's History Month. Women's History Month. And more women in politics. Absolutely. And more women in the media. (laughs) The special lunch is happening uh, at... And voila, your favorite place. Voila, one of my absolute favorite places in the whole world, and of course in Washington D.C. But what's very exciting, and we'll figure this out when we do our ordering. This might be Claude's first time ever having French onion soup. Yeah. So stay tuned. And you rave about it. <laughs> oh my it's, I'm sure, amazing <laughs> here. Is, this is, I think, the best French onion soup in the whole city. Well, when I think of French onion soup, I think back to fifth grade French class where we were all assigned to make something French. I knew you were going to say that and you had to make it. Uh-huh. And for whatever reason, my mom said, let's do French onion soup. And there's a lot of prep involved in French yeah. onion soup. There's a lot of chopping. Anyway, we had like gallons of French onion oh my soup gosh. left after that uh, somewhat of a science experience. It, you so. know what I'm thinking, though? We're relatively the same age. Was it like a giant cookbook of who was the very famous woman from Georgetown who made cooking, French cooking, um, more achievable? You, she had Julia a high Child? voice. Julia yeah, Child. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was it her recipe? Probably not. <laughs> Growing up in New Orleans, we had like oh, Cajun right. recipes everywhere. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. Spicy French onion soup we probably made. Oh, really? Uh, but, you know, it's uh, that's the great thing about growing up there, too. It's just like cooking was just such a family event. Yeah. And well, like recipes passed down. And Being from New Orleans, do you find the food everywhere else just bland? Like, <laughs> totally. It's hard to compare. It really is. It really is. Where do, you, down there is epic. where do you get New Orleans food here? That's tough. Um, there's a new restaurant that opened last year called Dauphine's. Oh, yeah. I haven't Post been there yet. Yeah, they yeah. do a pretty good job. 
Uh, they have a really good gumbo. They have a really good um, like fried oyster pasta dish. Oh my goodness! Um, that passes the test. So yeah, but for a while it was a New a Orleans time. food desert here. There wasn't yeah. very much. I'm intrigued by this New Orleans aspect. So um, what would be? What is your favorite home? meal when you go to New Orleans? What's well, New Orleans special? I cook up a really mean crawfish etouffee. So <gasps> that's do? sort of my... Spe- right. And I have a really good red beans and rice. Those uh, are my sort of go-tos down there. But the key is like bringing back the ingredients. So a lot of times if I'm down there and we try to be part-time down there, we have a place do down you there. Really? So, and my husband is not from there but loves it probably even more than I do. But if we're bringing back food, like I have been known to put like frozen crawfish tails wrapped up in newspaper into my suitcase... To bring back. So. You can't ship it? <laughs> you can, but you could just pick them up there. I mean, they're already, you know, peeled and everything, and you just bring them back, <laughs> yeah, and you like, can use it to make your etouffee <laughs> here. Same with red beans. They have camellia beans down there that are the ones you need to use, and so bring those back. So I'm constantly hauling, <laughs> hauling food items That's back so in my suitcase. I love it. Is there anything that, you know, someone from D.C. might consider odd that but when you go back home, you're like, oh, this is normal. She what had me a crawfish in her like, suitcase. Yeah. Uh, well, turtle soup is a big thing oh, I down like there. There, especially with some sherry in yeah. it. That's actually, I need that in Chicago. Yeah. At the Drake. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the So that's one of the things. things. And then okay. people are very picky down there about their gumbo, whether they sure, like yeah. a dark roux, yeah. a light roux, seafood, um, andouille sausage. We, um, the last couple of Thanksgivings, have gotten a deep fried turkey for Thanksgiving. Wow. And the nice thing is I freeze the carcass from the turkey and then make up a really nice turkey andouille sausage gumbo nice. out nice. of that. So that is sitting in my freezer right now. I got to do that next time there. And on a scale of one to ten, what is your spice level? I would say I'm a medium spice girl. Not too much. I think I'm an eight. But different kind of different nine. sort of spices I tolerate better than others. Like at an Indian restaurant, no, I can't. I can't deal yeah, yeah, yeah. at all. Yeah. No, I want the mildest possible thing available. Right. But in it's, more, it's a different spice. Oh, it's a different box. Right? Yeah, okay. yeah. A different spice. You are listening to lunch with Shelly. This is Alex, our waitress. <laughs> She's mortified <laughs> that I say that. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to have please egg white omelet. With um, extra cheese and ham. Please. And then, as you know, extra crispy fries with the ketchup, mustard, and mayonnaise. Messy. Okay, um, that sounds awesome, Shelly. I think I'm just going to copycat you on that and do the same thing. I'm going to do it. <gasps> the same thing? Go. It's her. I've never it's had it before. It's going to be his first time yeah. ever having it. <laughs> okay. But wait, that can't be the only thing. Uh, no, it will, no, it is. I'm on this whole thing where I'm Are you're getting ready um, yeah. for the spring? Yeah. Yes, Dude. the summer. We've got, right. I've got some stuff going sure. on. Yes, please. Sure, why not? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's so, hilarious. <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> men think about how they look. I, I really know. appreciate it because women are constantly thinking about Absolutely. their physique in, in addition to everything and else. usually men don't care. We're like, right. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The yeah. That girl is fat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's always that little voice in your head, too, when you're at a place like this. It's like, oh, they must have really good fries here. So, <laughs> right. you know, I would, right, right. I would order those. Let's talk a little more gumbo. Yeah. <laughs> where have you been where gumbo. you're like, they think this is gumbo? This is not gumbo. Oh. I mean, basically anywhere but New Orleans. (laughs) Um, And sometimes sheepishly, if I do have ordered gumbo, I don't do it very often, but I will... I will say, you know, I'm from New Orleans. How's your gumbo? Mm-hmm. Just to and make sure they're not trying to do they pull one over on you. It's Sometimes not good. they're like, yeah, maybe you should have the chicken soup. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, like do, you, do you know what I think, though? Um, I have two very close friends, and their daughters go to Tulane. Oh. And so it, this is a, a, not a food thing, but when yeah. I think of New Orleans lately, I think... My God, the weather has been such a mess for the oh last like gosh. four or five years. It's just calamity after calamity after calamity. I mean, it it's just a lot. the hurricanes are, can be scary for people. I mean, the last hurricane that was down there, um, it was people ended up you know leaving, but it was very last minute. Yeah. Um, and I remember being at the airport. It was I think the hurricane was going to hit on a Sunday. 
um, we had happened to have a flight back anyway booked on Friday. Oh, great. So we got to the airport. Yeah, it was great until all of a sudden the canceled sign went up uh, at the gate. Friday before Friday, the Sunday? The airport is packed. And I immediately start going into crisis mode. Oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? And, you know, ran over to the um, to the board of flights and saw that there was a Southwest flight leaving for Houston. So I got on my app, fortunately had seats, grabbed that flight so that we could at least get out of the city because you don't keep a car when we're in That's New Orleans. So and there was no rental yep. cars. I knew, like, just get out of yep. the city. It doesn't matter where you yep. go. Yep. We'll stay at the airport Marriott in Houston right. uh, and then, you know, fly to D.C. the next day, which is what we ended up doing. But I rescued two poor little two-lane students. You're kidding. That were standing by the uh, the American Airlines canceled flight literally crying. I bet. Crying. Yeah. Because they were scared. The they didn't know what to do. Parents. On the phone to right. their parents. <laughs> and I went up to them and I... I said, you know, girls, I said, I just got on this Southwest flight. Tell your parents to book you on this. You can spend the night in Houston. They're like, but we're not 21. How do we get a hotel? I was like, it's okay. We'll help you with the hotel. And, And then they were kind of looking at me like, who is this crazy woman? I was like, it's okay. I'm a professor at American University. I said, my daughter is a college student at TCU. And they looked at me, and one of the little girls said, Oh, my God, you're Ella's mom. Oh, my God. She happened to know Ella, and I know her mother really well. Oh, because that's her hilarious. older sister went to school with my daughter. Anyway, long story. But it turned out to be my friend's daughter, and I had no idea. That's so adorable. <laughs> well, we love long stories, by the way. I went to New Orleans a couple times, really not more than two, but I went for Jazz Fest one oh, time. That's and I had the great. best time in the entire up world. Soon. And Mardi yeah. Gras a lot of fun. Um, this year, uh, during Mardi Gras, my husband and I rode in the, one of the parades on the Saturday before Mardi Gras, which we had never done before. I mean, even growing up there, I had never been on a float. So we had so much fun. How do you get Saturday. to do that? We had a friend that, you know, they ha- each of the uh, parades has what's called a crew, and it's like a membership organization. And we had a friend who had like a vacancy um, on one of the Their floats, crew. had two spots open. <laughs> and so we got to do it, um, which was a riot. And we do had, you throw things? Oh, yeah. We threw things. This particular Play parade. It's called the Crew of Tux. And T-U-C-K-S. Okay. It's sort of a satirical crew. So the floats are kind of fun. And but the big throw that you do, it's it's very it's based on uh, potty humor, actually. Interesting enough. Well, I and was thinking like they throw, yeah, yeah. throw <laughs> toilet paper. They throw the big get the big uh, throw that everyone wants to catch is a decorated little uh, plunger. So yeah, okay. so you're rolling right. down the street. People are saying plunger, plunger. Oh, that's hilarious. Like they want their plunger. But does anybody ever get hurt? Like if you throw it, like you're chucking it to like the girl yeah, in the fourth care. row. You don't, you don't right. throw those. I mean, usually, well, people kind of come up and you can hand them. You throw beads, right? Uh, and beads other different. I know, I know. You can. You got to. If you're watching one of the parades in New Orleans, you got to be on alert because there could be a bead flying. Anything can <laughs> yeah. just be coming at you. Exactly. Here. Anyway, it was. It was a lot of fun this year. So, is your place in? Where is your place in New Orleans? Our place and then is, we can go yeah, we can, women. Yeah. <laughs> Our place is downtown, sort of in the, what's called the warehouse district. Okay. Um, not far from the World War II museum down there. Okay. Um, and we bought it. Yeah, during COVID, it's an old 1850s boarding house. Wow. So wow. it's got a ton yeah. of character. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been renovated. Um, but we're doing um, a big uh, courtyard dig right now. It has a courtyard in it, and we're kind of digging it up and making it look a little bit more. Um, oh, that's so cool! Yeah. yeah. So it's got it's got some history around it, and any um, spirits? Do you yeah. think? Well, I, um, if anyone knows, the, the, there's a famous <laughs> author um, named Lafcadio Hearn, who. Um, was uh, a writer in New Orleans, went later in his life uh, to Japan, but but I found he was a boarder in the house in like 18, I don't know, 90-something. Uh, and I've gotten since then a the entire um, his, a collection of his entire writings in, like there's like 25 book, volume books of all of his writings. And I brought them back to the house and have them in our library there because I figure it's good karma, right? Yeah. Bring him home. Right. And so, that's yeah, so that's amazing. guarding against any ghosts because I have him right there in the house. <laughs> and he is that prolific? Yes. Yes. Incredible. Uh, wrote for a while um, for the newspaper in New Orleans, but then did a lot of his work later in life in Japan, but has 
actually um, a collection of his letters that exist, and in one of his postcards that he sent to someone, he did a sketch of the actual front of our house, <gasps> and You're it kidding. has the address and everything on it. Yeah, so that's I so want awesome. to get that framed. Yeah, I was just going to say that's yeah. frameable. Anyway, it's it's a lot of fun. And the nice thing is, you were saying about New Orleans and people having weddings there. When we are there, we always have people that happen to be in town for something because oh, really? everyone has a convention there, right. the governor's association meeting there, a wedding, a bachelorette party, whatever. Right. <laughs> and so we, it's fun because we have a constant flow of friends from all over that um, are in town sometimes when we're there. And it works out to have you, dinner and a drink. You're listening to Lunch with Shelly. Hello, how are you? Oh, that looks Our good. food is arriving. Looks really Claude, good. take a picture. Yeah. And I'm sorry, take a picture. But <laughs> lady, this Enjoy. is going to be, thank you. This is going to be so exciting, Claude. Should I video you? Oh, trying, trying to eat it. <laughs> this, yes. is a, this is a great order here, Shelly. It's perfect. Thank you for this. My pleasure. Recommendation here, too. Okay, Claude. Yes, I did. But I'm going to help you. And we have the same thing. But I'm going to help you out. So take your spoon. Oh, yeah. Puncture the middle. Capture this. Yeah. And then try and get, of course, the... Thank you so well, watch much. Watch out. Don't burn your mouth because it's probably hot. <laughs> try and get the... you got to get a mixture of cheese and broth. Which is not easy. So you could use your fingers. I usually use a fork in addition. Yeah. Here. Here. Oh my God! This is so He's got exciting. it. Here we go. Very good. <laughs> very good. Very good. Thumbs up. Now, is very good. Would you say excellent? Are you surprised? No. I have nothing to compare it to. Yeah. That's true. But, but you it's think really it's good. yummy soup? Yes, absolutely. Like the cheese is insane. Yeah, I no. love like yeah. the bread on the inside too when you get down there. Bread? Oh, that, you know yeah, what? Yeah. I leave the bread. All mm. I'm into no, no, is no. The, <laughs> I'm only into the soup. I mean the cheese and the broth. This is great. This is All right. Good. Really I'm good. so happy. Well, you'll have to have some I'm putting my fries closer to you, Claude. Okay. <laughs> um so, okay, so we talked about conventions. So let's talk, Betsy, and clearly eat and chew <laughs> to the extent that you feel comfortable. We always try and let our guests eat as much as they can and talk as much as they can. I did, I promise. <laughs> what do you think yeah. is the state of women in politics? And I'll ask you an add-on yeah. question. What do you think the chances are of a female candidate being one of the two or being at a convention as the final one? Yeah, well, um, there's like there's good news and bad news on the women in politics front. I mean, we are record numbers right now in terms of representation in, in the House in and the Congress. Senate. Yeah. Yeah. And so state legislators? 27%. Yeah. And, and governors, which oh, is yeah, really yeah. interesting because we have 12 governors right now that are women. And usually when you, yeah, when you think about women being elected to office, sort of that executive position is sort of one of the most difficult because women are seen as being more collaborative right. and like <laughs> working well that? in a legislative right. system. But the executive, kind of the person in charge, right, gets hit a lot with, the, are they likable enough? Are they too tough? Or, and so it's hard for women to navigate that. But, um, you know, like I said, 12 women right now as, as governors. And I just think it makes a huge difference for young women to be able to see other yeah. women and leaders in their state, um, you know, be elected. And so I think, you know, that's that's the good news. I think there are still issues when you think about um, the things that some women, you know, face in order to try to run, the, the vitriol that's out there, the negativity, some of the online violence um, is real. And God, I didn't even add that yeah. in my my brain thought but cue, it's, it's, online violence. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 hard. Um, and then the fundraising is still, you know, hard for yeah. women. Yeah. Um, one of the things we do at the institute that I run is we um, we have a campaign training program for young women, 
uh, these are not AU students. These are young women like 25 to 35 that spend an academic year with us one Saturday a month. And we do soup to nuts campaign training because we really believe that if women are given sort of the skills, how do you fundraise? How do you put together a campaign? What do you need to know about advertising and polling and all these different elements of a campaign? If they're given those tools, they're going to be more apt to put themselves out and, and actually run. Right. I know that's always a problem. I mean, we're yeah. both involved with organizations that focus on that. Yeah. So, it, and I think it really does make a difference um, in a lot of respects. You were talking about women and running and, yeah. and different aspects like that. And this is um, sort of a, quite literally a face value question, but do you think that there's a look like, and I want you to, I had so many media questions for you, but I'm, I'm fascinated about the politics too. And, and um, you and I both have had history. Yeah. Um, do you think that there's a certain look like there used to be for a political woman? Mm. And you can answer that also for a media correspondent. Like there used to be. Was it Midwest? Yeah, but perfect. I mean, it's a great question. You know, didn't really have to be blonde. It's a great question. And I do think we have in the past, I would say, decade or so, moved more towards sort of what I think of as like an authenticity component of being very valuable for women that they don't feel that they always have to like have on the red power suit while they're campaigning. And to be more their authentic selves. I mean, we've seen even campaign advertisements of women running for Congress where they're doing the ad from their minivan with the kids in the backseat. Right. right? Like, to me, that's very refreshing. And yes. it does put women in a slight of, like, you know, bring what you, who you are to the table. And I think voters uh, value that maybe more now. I think that's so interesting because... Um, uh, Authenticity is such a buzz word, but I never <laughs> but thought of real. it as an authentic look. I mean, clearly it's, it per- pervades so many other different aspects, but yeah. that's interesting. So, like, what you look like is what you look like. Yeah, I mean, there's a, a member of Congress who, who ran twice, and she tells the story of the first time she represented like a state in the Midwest and ran the first time dressing and looking like the part that she thought right. a woman uh, member of Congress should look like. Like I said, the red power suit, you know, the briefcase, did her ads like that, and lost. And then the second time she ran again, she was like, you know what, I'm just going to be more myself. And so she was in jeans for events. I mean, her family was, like, in farming. Could I get me um, and mustard, too, please? Thanks. So she was, she was more authentic self and, actually, and won the race. Right. And she just says that she felt more real. It's so interesting. I have a similar story of someone I knew that ran, thank you, darling, that ran um, or wanted to run, and she was terrifically young at the time. She still is young. But uh, everybody at the committee that she was meeting with was like, you got to change your whole look, your hair's wrong, your outfits are wrong, blah, blah, blah. And it was so offensive. And she ended up not listening to them, and she ended up winning. Yeah. But fast forward to a month ago. I was at an event that actually my son was working at. It was very fun. And um, I was introduced to a woman who ran and lost um, for a house seat mm. and from Long Island. And, again, she's getting the same advice. She was going to a concert or something. I think she was seeing Billy Joel. Oh. And her campaign manager was like, don't tell anybody you're going to see Billy Joel. Really? And she was like, really? Are you sure that that's good advice? And I was, and or she said that. And they were like, yes, yes, yes. And I disagreed and she disagreed. and But she was very on the fence because, you know, you pay these consultants and she lost the first time, and you kind of think somebody's yeah. got to know something, you know? Mm-hmm. That is surprising. But you do hear that in the media, too, you know, especially yeah. like in the local news world. Your right. has to look a certain way. So still? I think that still exists. I mean, I think somewhat less so, but I think it's, it's still out there. I am such a Luddite, and I actually don't know so much about what I'm doing, and I, I actually have a super hard time posting, which I know is ridiculous, but I was visiting my folks, and I was sitting in between my sister and this young gentleman who's uh, one of uh, my father's nurses who we adore, and the gentleman has his own car blog, and my sister oh. is an artist and has her own website, and I was saying that, I, you know, somebody was helping me post my stuff and blah, 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 <laughs> but intimately knows. Anyway, even them, or even they, uh-huh. at dinner, they're like, Shelly, 
but you just do this, 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 and this. And what's frustrating for the Luddite, which is probably what's frustrating, I'm sure, for the young person and the older person that you're referencing, is that when people try and teach you, they do it very quickly, and they right. assume... They assume you should know. And dollars to donuts, what they think is so quick and obvious and easy, isn't. And so there's never a moment when someone is trying to teach me something when they're like, oh, that shouldn't have happened. Or, oh, your button is in a different yeah. place. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, blah, blah, blah. So, well, and by the way, if you would just be patient and take 35 patient. to 40 oh minutes to show someone. Yeah, they yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, yeah. like, my husband still can't figure out how to operate the remote right. on the television. <laughs> and we have to have remedial remote class every time he wants to watch something. Yeah. But you because know it's easier to hand it to me and right. say, figure hey, it out. Can you put on the game? Right. No, I am not doing that. The that makes me feel so much better. But my parents have this remote, and God bless them. They know how to do it unless the they have um, a dish, though. And oh, so yeah, when the dish goes out, then they're completely yeah, out. Yeah, 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 but yeah. their remote control is actually, and looks like an iPad. Oh. I mean, it's sort of like a astronaut well, maybe control Maybe we could do that. System. Maybe we need to switch. No, it's not easier. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely not easier. It just uh, is big. Yeah. Right. So it's sort of oh, easier for their fingers. fingers. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, it's interesting with the technology when we think about COVID, too. And uh, this happened um, at a at AU where I teach. You know, when COVID happened, we all had to go online for our classes. Oh, yeah. And, you know, some of us were, it was easier process. I mean, that we're, like, I was familiar with Zoom and some of the basics, but we had older professors, you can well imagine, mm-hmm. who were like, wait, you want me to do what? How? Huh? Yeah. And so, you know, to the university's and then when they credit, got on, yeah, they, they probably looked ridiculous. Yeah, but we, <laughs> you know? the university ran a ton of you know, workshops for them and had like help people on standby and really help them get online because it was not an easy, it was not an easy God, process I didn't even for think about them. That. So, Shelly, for, but for you, you yeah. talk about all the technology, what if what have you been the quickest to adopt? What have you been the slowest oh, to adopt? Oh, God. Well, I just had a, an experience where I sort of learned how to... Uh, oh, I know what I did. I learned how to edit my post on Facebook because there okay. was a typo in our post. Mm-hmm. And it just drives me bananas because, A, I mean, we come from the school of... You have to read things five times over. Not that you don't, right. but our Betsy and I, you know... We weren't using a typewriter, but you just really had to make sure that there were no typos because, you know, the world would end. Oh, my (laughs) God. Yes, pre-spell check. And uh, anyway, I learned how to edit um, a post on Facebook and Instagram. All right. Okay. And it was really scary. Now, now what have you been the (laughs) slowest? And I was on an airplane, too. (laughs) I know. Now, what have you been the slowest to adopt? Well, everything else. Like... (laughs) (laughs) So in the desert of being technologically lost, <laughs> I reached out to a couple of people through Claude, actually. And um, the second person most recently that I reached out to, and I want your thoughts on this, Betsy, it was this guy who is terrifically fascinating. And he started out in a different industry, a more technologically proficient hmm. industry, an industrial sort of um, industry, and then went into podcasting in mm-hmm. 2010. To make a very long Early. story short, he is so technologically proficient that I actually emailed him back like, I can't upload my picture, and I haven't heard back from him. <laughs> but what he did, and he really wanted my impressions on it, which I thought were mind-boggling, is he ran my show. He was trying to engage uh, me in having better show notes, as our oh, friend yes. Laura yeah. Cox Kaplan does. But he used... AI, AI yeah. to do it. And it blew my freaking really? mind. So first, the AI does a transcript. Yeah. Then you take the transcript and the AI will run. And I think it was different platforms. So that's also what I, I couldn't remember, like, what the cadence was. But you take the transcript and you run it through another AI thing. And it came up with a fantastic story with really Amazing. super hashtags. So I ask you, where are you on that in the Institute? I, That's I a great question. Or just media in general? Well, I mean, I think when a couple things, um, when you think about academia, yeah. when you think about academia, I mean, that is a question that is top of mind for a lot of faculty members is how do we know the papers that we're getting right. back have not been generated by, you know, generative AI, chat uh, GPT, et cetera. And one of the professors had a great 
solution that she did. She said she assigned um, two or three essay questions for an exam or a midterm, and she distributed to the students the essay questions and what ChatGPT spit back. Like she did that herself and said, ChatGPT has gotten a B minus on their paper. Go make this an A. And so she preemptively <laughs> took the chat GPT component off of the table and made the students write a better one than what they could have spit out. Or what I was thinking is they would take the chat GPT, yeah. which is what this guy that I'm referencing, Claude, did, and just edit it. Yeah, I mean, it is... Because there are, like, you <coughs> yeah. do have to read it to go through, and there are things that... You have to... Yeah, I mean, you they didn't even it. get our names correct. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You okay. have to catch that. Um, one of the... I uh, have a... Um, a media training client in who works in that AI space, and so I've done a lot of reading and thinking about this. But the, one of the ways they think about it and talk about it is AI is a co-pilot, so that it is, it's going to be along with you. Um, but you're right; you've got to. It has to be the human component that's looking yeah. at some of that right. and making sure things are spelled right. AI is like a better, better than an intern, but yes. less. I would say less than a co-pilot, like an assistant. A yeah, super so assistant. you need to you need to be on top of, of checking that yeah. kind of thing now. You know what's extraordinary though is also it's so fast. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. it's so fast. Mm-hmm. Are you done? Oh, in that. Yeah, thank you, Alex. Um, I'm going to be scooping up the bottom. <laughs> it's really good. It's really good. I told you. Mm-hmm. Well, cheese. I mean, I'm just good. a cheese head. Thank you. There was um, an article in the Wall Street Journal, I think today or yesterday, about uh, people using ChatGPT in the office and not telling their bosses. Like, trying to do it as a shortcut. Right. And so companies are dealing with a lot of those issues and whether just to prohibit it on their machines because also... In order to get data out of ChatGPT, you have to put data in. And right. so companies are struggling with, okay, their proprietary information is being put into a third-party application. And there's some, there oh. some issues about sharing internal. Right. So that's something that I think companies are grappling with, too. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah we don't have any proprietary no, information. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's another question for you. So... Yesterday's hearing, which will date us, but I guess that's okay, uh, was the CEO of TikTok. Oh, gosh. Which was so interesting. So how do you think he did, and how would you have advised him differently? Because it was, clearly it was a, well, it was political, and and also um, he had a media presence. I thought his media presence was better than expected. Did you? Yeah, and he, you know, he was definitely on the hot seat, sitting there for oh my five gosh. hours. I mean, that is not anything I would wish on anyone, right? <laughs> right. Um, and he also didn't have that great of a story to tell, too. <laughs> right. How would you have prepared him better? I mean, it's really tough, especially when you're being grilled, because the problem with doing, you know, professional testimony is that you can't be offending any of those questioners, right? Even and, though they're offending and you, and sometimes left you know, and right. if you're in a journalism situation, right. you can spar a little bit with the reporter back and forth. I mean, obviously, you want to keep your cool and not be rude, but you have to walk a really fine line with you know, congresswoman or congressman that's right. asking you questions, right. and so that is a even a trickier dance because you have to be well. You know, thank you for that excellent question, right. and, and you know, yes. I may disagree with here's why, you know, and so it's you're misusing this term, but nevertheless, I understand what you're saying. Exactly. With all, (laughs) with all due respect. Well, because I mean, I would be the same person. I'd be like talking about the internet and they'd be like, ma'am, this is not the internet. So that is a And I'd be full on ma'am. I wouldn't even, you know, I'm sure they had, yeah, I'm sure they had an army of consultants and lobbyists. I could see people, you know, sitting behind there and thought, oh, well, um, but, you know, it's always helpful in those situations, and I know people do this for congressional testimony and certainly media appearances, is just like the practice and doing the, the mortarboard, running back and forth and having someone play the member of Congress, just like right. you would do debate prep, right? right. Just so that you're not inclined to snap back. <laughs> right. What are your thoughts, if you have any thoughts, yeah. on, well, I guess we can't really eliminate TikTok, but what are your thoughts on social media and how is your... Either well, your classes are more focused on politics, politics but it yeah. but it touches everything with your clients or in your classroom. Yeah. How have you incorporated the new new all the time? And and you know it's interesting because yeah, you have to be. And that's when people ask me about you know 
the Sunday shows and how they've sort of that genre evolved, has yeah. evolved over the years. I think that's one of the biggest components of it is just that news just travels at the speed of light right now, and there's this pressure to be on top of everything 24-7 and follow the slightest little increment in the news development. Even at the cost of not being correct. Yeah. You just got to say that's something. But or even point. just to be, like, and for Meet the Press in particular, um, when I was there with Tim, so much of the show was built on... Um, you know, two or three days of preparation. And we were talking about doing like mock interviews. We would just play that back and forth of like, okay, I'm going to ask this and here's what they would probably say. And, you know, those things were thought out and took time. And so we could book a show on a Tuesday or Wednesday and feel fairly certain that the topic that we were going to discuss was going to still be relevant right. and in the news right. and have those two or three days to really dive into a research. That's harder and harder these oh days because, I mean, the difference from a Tuesday to a Sunday and sort of a news cycle, that's oh. It's like a year, a year has month. passed. Like, yeah. wait, something you're talking about something that happened right. on Tuesday? Yeah. And so that's really, really difficult. And social media, I just think, is, is definitely so what do you responsible say to for that. And the then young these, folk. I mean, like, how do how could they possibly prepare? Well, and then even just for, you know, how we get our news. I mean, news finds us in many ways yeah. now, these clips. And so I think if you were producing things now, you have to be cognizant of, like, okay, chopping things up and chopping them. And so you're going to do two-minute clips and put them out on Twitter or TikTok or Instagram because that's people. That's how people are watching your show. That's what we need very, to do. Yeah, yeah, very few, yes, very few people are going to take 45 minutes and listen to a long podcast unless they're on a trip, right? Or, well, hours are short, but yeah. Yeah, or, you know, watch an entire Sunday show in one sitting. I mean, right, that's a right. lot mm-hmm. of time investment. I mean, the junkies will do that, right? But it's just very hard, as we all know, in our busy lives to carve out that sort of time. And so... You know, if something happens on a Sunday show, chances are you're going to see it on your feed um, and you're going to find out about it and not have to watch. Endure the entire interview. Wait, you know, take a whole (laughs) an hour out of your day. Right. Um, But that is a good thing about podcasting, too, is because it is so portable, right, that you can listen in the car, listen while you're working out. Yeah. But you have to give people an appetite for that. And I think the clips and sending out little clips. And teasers, if you will, right. draw people then into you know. Well, and you can monetize it. I mean, I have clients that yeah, you know have very little, uh, have small um, audiences that listen to their shows or watch their shows, but they have so huge social media followings. Mm. Like, well, instead of pitching to advertisers or sponsors your show, I mean, pitch the show, but the value is in my social media following. Yeah. I've got this so many people. So the influencer people. model. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so we'll mm-hmm. take clips from the show. We'll open with a graphic of the sponsor. You know, whatever. But you can utilize that. Yeah, that's a to, smart way yeah. to think about it, mm-hmm. for sure. Especially when you think about podcasting. And there's so many podcasts, too. And how do you, kind of, how do you cut through? And right. you know what? So, well, I think you hit on this already as well. But when I was thinking about lunch, I was yeah. thinking of it as, um, well, everything has been very Seinfeldian, as I described it to Claude initially. So first, I was thinking about it as a um, coffee table book, <laughs> a la Kramer. Right. <laughs> a coffee. Remember that? Did the you coffee ever, table book about exactly. coffee. Yeah, oh, I know yeah. coffee table. Oh, that's so funny. But I just thought of it like, yeah, it would be like a um, a book, but yeah. you could also use it as your tray for lunch. But then um, I thought a podcast would be more fun and maybe easier. And I was wrong. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of work. It's a lot yeah. of I work. I give you guys full credit. It's a lot of work to to put on and consistently, consistently, yeah. and getting guests and figuring out what you're doing, what you're talking about, the pushing it actually, out. Pushing it out is something we're both working on and yeah. doing reels. You know who's so fantastic is Laura, and she's been such yeah, a terrific mentor well. to me. Laura Cox, yeah, who was on our. Program. Did you know her from the Hill too? I did. That's when I first met yep. her back. In, and that's the great thing about Washington. I is know that you just go back. In the trenches with a lot of people, you it's know, true. and everything, you know, people go their different ways, and sometimes you intersect back with them, which right. is really fun. So, Laura's a great example of that. She now teaches at our institute, teaches right. a course on women and leadership at AU. Oh, wow. But I, yeah, I first got to know her, you know, way back when she worked for Senator Shelby. Exactly <laughs> right. And I told the story on the podcast, which you probably heard, that she and I sat next to each other on a bus that is so for great. press secretaries <laughs> going to Manhattan, that where we so saw John John. <laughs> like a bonding experience forever and ever. I remember we had him, John John, on Meet the Press when uh, George Magazine came out. First came out. 
and we had him on Meet the Press. Did he come into say, the studio? He I guess into the studio. Did. Oh, we yeah. were very, very strict about we needed people in the studio. Yeah. He came in. Every intern that worked in that entire building decided to show up on that Sunday morning. It's amazing how that really happened. But he was that beautiful. Oh, and he was that famous. I mean, it was a... But he, he was absolutely deal. famous, but it was sort of like at the risk of getting untoward. It, it was sort of like Michelangelo walking around. <laughs> yeah, like he it was, was a rock star. Very, yeah. Like 6'1, very fit, nice yeah, outfit, yeah, yeah. but not like overdone. And like his hair was <laughs> yeah. perfect, but not because he had gel in it. It just was, <laughs> yeah. you know? And he was nice. He was, and he could have been nicer. I mean, he right. took pictures with people, and this right. is pre selfies, obviously, <laughs> you know? Right. But people brought in their cameras, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, and it's just, speaking of people like just coming around the circle, his publicist um, is actually Maggie Haberman from New York Times, oh, yeah. who's a friend and colleague, was her mother. You're kidding. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so it's just people. Was that people the stick easiest around. job on the planet? I think it was more like keeping people away. I know. I right? How many times do you have right. to say no? No, he's right. not available. No, he's right. not available. No, I don't. I still don't know why he ended up doing Meet the Press. I, I guess Tim convinced him um, some kind of way, but that was um, that was a momentous uh, show. I, I know. I remember well, that for sure. Actually, and I'm, this is out of order because yeah. I had a question in mind. But when you watch TV, what is the most accurate depiction of what it was like for you at Meet the Press or for Tom Brokaw because I feel like there are a bunch of shows that, you know, have, that oh, are based on television series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't think of one, but you The Morning know. Show. Which the Morning Show is I so I really good. haven't watched, Oh, you should watch enough. it. I, it was like cutting a little too close to home kind of thing for really? me. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I started watching it, and then I just didn't pick back up on it. I mean, the classic, of course, is Broadcast News. Remember with Holly Oh, my Hunter God. That's and, such a good movie. I mean, that was a pretty, of the day, that was a pretty good, accurate description of, like, the craziness and you know, running the back tapes of the room, and right. screaming, <laughs> right. and yeah, all of that, and the looks, and, and, and the in looks. that instance, it was looks for men. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I went and speaking of authenticity too, right? Remember like the fake crying that he did. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> well, you know what I love? like? Stagecraft. You were talking about. I do. Uh, yeah, I do. It's a classic. No, I want to see parts, but uh, I'll go you got back it. You got it. Netflix. The funniest okay. thing for me, what I am, uh, remember most, or one of the things that I re- reference is when Albert Brooks just couldn't stop sweating and the hair dryer. <laughs> oh my god! And to this day, when I walk through at the correspondence center with the metal detectors, I always remember that. Scene. Remember, she had some sort of birth control device in her oh, purse, yeah, like yeah, an yeah. Oh, something, yeah. Right. And um, yeah, like a diaphragm of the day, right? Because right. it was the 80s, right? right? And she had the embarrassing, you know, they opened her purse, right. and like, there it is. Right. I still think about every time, every time That's I go through those metal detectors at the I correspondence center. Yes, because I remember what she wore, and he was her date, like but then puppy. she left yeah, to go yeah. back to Albert Brooks exactly. because he was so upset. Yeah. That great movie. Okay, great so movie. back to Meet the Press, anecdotally. Yeah. Name three, and my initial question was name three women, but it doesn't yeah. really matter. Yeah. Name three of, like, your top highlights from either Meet the Press or just working with Tom Brokaw, who, as we've established, I adore, in addition to Tom Brokaw. Well, who, like, were three people that either surprised you because you thought they were 6'2 and they were 5'2 yeah, yeah. or was just like, holy smokes, I will never wash my hand again. Well, I'll tell you some kind of funny story. Well, at least they're funny now. They weren't funny at the time. <laughs> uh, you know, some various things that happened and then also some some fun guests. But Take a big swig of champagne yeah, first really, to give you like, veracity. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, you know, Meet the Press was a live show on Sunday morning, obviously still is. Um and we had, um, this was shortly after uh, the start of uh, the first, um, shortly after 9-11. And uh, we had a very big exclusive interview with Prince Bandar, who was then the ambassador of Saudi Arabia to the United States. A famous legendary figure in Washington and didn't do a lot of interviews and was going to come on Meet the Press to address the issue that, you know, the, the hijackers the role were of Saudi. The Saudi yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was like a big deal interview. And we always had like a taped open of the show, you know, our issues this Sunday. Anyway, my phone rings um, 
on a Saturday night at like two in the morning. Never a good sign. And was it your landline or your cell phone at the time? I think it was the I think it was a cell phone at the time, like a flip phone. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And it's the Saudi embassy calling to say that the ambassador is not going to be now available right. Sunday morning, like a couple hours from then. What time did you get there for your Sunday morning show? Because for me, it came on at it, 10, right? It, we, we did it live to most markets at 9. It was okay. delayed here in Washington until 10.30. 10.30, And yeah. so we would get in like 4.30 in the morning. Wow. Okay. Yeah, early wow. morning. Anyway, so the, the, the embassy call says, uh, you know, Prince Brandar is not going to be able to keep his commitment. And I'm like, oh, what do you mean? How can this be? You know, try and talk them out of it. I said, they weren't budging. Was he in he said, town? he's not available. He's out of the country. He's not yeah. going to be here. right. Not a lot of explanation. I said, well, you have to give us somebody. You know, this is like a big deal interview. So um, at the time, um, there was a a person we had had on Meet the Press um, named Adel Al-Joubert, who was then the foreign policy advisor to the then crown prince. Fast forward, he was later the ambassador himself and some other high positions. But at the time, he's the foreign policy guy. So they said, well, we could give you Adel. And I was like, okay. I mean, better than nothing, right? So... I remember having to call Tim that uh, next morning, morning. Yeah, oh, yeah. Or, or like early, early morning, and yeah. say, you know, Bandar's not coming. They're giving us Adol, and Tim was livid. I mean, pissed, pissed, pissed. <laughs> and he insisted on keeping the open of the show that the we pre do the same. Yeah. Our issues this Sunday, exclusive interview with Prince Bandar of Saudi Arabia. And then when they come up, he and says, then Prince he Bandar, right. Yeah, so they come up live, and he's like, but first. Late last night, you know, remember the embassy yeah. called and said that Prince would not be this keeping. This made morning yeah, television not, interesting. Yeah, not yeah. be c- keeping his commitment to come on. You know, here in his place is the Crown Policy Advisor, the Crown P- Prince, Mr. Adel Al-Jubair. Mr. Adel Al-Jubair, where, where is, is the <laughs> where is the Prince? Is it his? Is it true <laughs> that he has a history of erotic behavior? You know, basically, Whoa. is he on drugs? <laughs> like it was bad. Is that what he said? Oh yeah, it was bad. <laughs> Poor Adelman sat there and took it. Later to be the ambassador himself. Maybe that maybe that sealed his ascension that he could handle handle that interrogation. But yeah, that was not a pleasant moment. Um, the cancellation kind of concept was real. You're listening to Lunch with Shelley. Speaking of Brokaw. One of the big interviews, and this was like one of the high watermarks for the show in terms of ratings, was a big interview that we had worked on for a while and getting Colin Powell to come on and do his announcement on who he was going to endorse for president. Because remember, it was between Obama and McCain, and it was which way is Colin Powell going to go? It was a big, big deal. Actually, I mean, I'm remembering it now that you're bringing it up, and I had forgotten about it. Yeah, and what was he going to do, right? And so um, Powell had told us... He would come on, but he would he would probably come on, but have to wait till after the last presidential debate. So, of course, we followed back up. He agreed to come on and agreed to make it an exclusive, which was just a, a really big deal, and do the announcement. And, mm-hmm. you know, we waited for a couple of days to really announce that he was going to come on because we knew he would just be peppered by every other news organization. And so we announced it on, on like a Friday. And, of course, you know tons of headlines and calls and to his credit he told reporters i'm gonna have what i have to say and i'm gonna say it sunday i'll meet the press nice. god bless him mm-hmm. right <laughs> and so he did and came on and gave a very thoughtful and tom did a masterful job of that interview and kind of letting him speak and say why he was going to support obama and give his rationale for it and because of all that build-up i think we probably had about eight million viewers watching that you know live on a sunday morning but it was a it was a big deal but an example of you know the way tom handled it so well and then you know a person like Colin Powell like keeping his word right. and not spilling it ahead of time right. <laughs> so I, I very much appreciated appreciated that but we also had a lot of fun opportunities you know Tim was a big sports fan and so we were able to do some fun shows like when NBC had like the NBA all-star game we would go and interview Michael Jordan or Charles wow. Barkley and so those were fun to kind of get out of Washington a little bit 
um, and interview some other figures that weren't just Senator X or Senator Y, right? What are your pieces of advice that you give to the women in your politics class? And is it the same to your clients, I guess? Maybe it's a completely different gig because one group is far younger, I assume. Interesting, because I think, you know, across my career, I feel like when I look at what I did in television, what I do at AU, when I do working with clients, it's like a teaching component on all of them. It's like in television, you're educating an audience about a particular topic, obviously teaching in university, and same thing with working with clients on how to do something. And I think the common thread of a lot of that, too, is when you think about doing a job, preparing preparing for a job is key, that preparation. And that's something that I learned a lot from Tim. I mean, he was prepared. a prepared yeah. He There was never a show that he would show up on and wing it. And, and it always looked never, like he was winging it. Never. And so, yeah. And so that, that focus of preparation, I just think is applicable whether you're a student in college, you know, do your preparations. I mean, I you know, want to sound like a you know, mother hen when I do this to my daughter. It was like, study, prepare, read, understand. You know, when I was an intern, I started as an intern at Meet the Press, and part of my job was literally Xeroxing news clips to put together into like a briefing packet right. for the modern and the producers, but I would take a minute to like read read the clips, like not just mindlessly. And so preparing for your sort of your next job, you know, thinking about, you know, how you can prepare. And the same thing goes for clients that are doing media interviews, preparation or doing a speech. You know, I just worked with someone the other day and told her, um, you know, practice your, we, we did a practice version of it. I was like, take your iPhone and pra- read into your iPhone and then listen back to it. And so I emailed her the really other day. I, she said, I said, how did you? She said, that was great advice. She did it four times. She could hear when she was, she had a problem being very monotone when she talked. She could hear when she was doing that. Um, and she could sort of do a little bit of a self-correction. But I mean, that's, and I said, congrats, but you put in all the hard work. I mean, that is not easy to do. Listen back to yourself, by Even the way. Even down to the point that sometimes you don't understand how weird a certain word will sound coming out of your exactly. mouth until you try to say it. If you just wait until you're doing it, I didn't think that would... Understanding how something's going to sound coming out of your mouth, so when you hear it, it's familiar to you, goes a long way. Yeah, and so it just goes back to that preparation component. And like I said, that that was probably my biggest takeaway of being able to kind of learn and and grow under under Tim, who was such a mentor to me early on. Um, But then we ended up working together for 17 years. It's so amazing. Yeah, it was definitely a privilege of a lifetime, that's for sure. (laughs) We had so much fun today, didn't we, Claude? We did. I tried something new. Never had such onion soup ever before. I loved it. Exactly. Might be the only thing I order when it comes to (laughs) Evoila. Wouldn't that be terrific? Well, everybody, we love Evoila. Thank you so much to them. Thank you so much for our superb guest, Betsy Fisher Martin. Mm -hmm. Please check out this podcast wherever you download your podcast or go to www.lunchwithshelly.com. Share it with your network of people. Share it with your network of people. And when you come to Evoila and you order either the French onion soup (laughs) or the delicious omelets, tell them that you heard the podcast and that's why you came. (laughs) Thank you for listening. And in the meantime, peace, love, and lunch. 